And then, as you 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 rightly said, even the code that that they use was not a very secure one. <laughs> so you are involved in a plot, you write about it in a code which is not very safe. This this shows that uh, she was less careful at the time and more desperate, probably. The Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. If you follow the show on social media, you likely saw within the last week a big announcement about some lost Mary Queen of Scots letters. Well, on today's show, historian and friend of the show, Mel Taylor, had the privilege of talking to Dr. George Lassery, who together with his colleagues Norbert Bierman, a professor of music and a pianist, and Satoshi Tomokio, an astrophysicist, found in analyzed letters written by Mary Queen of Scots in code between the years 1578 and 1584. Now, despite Walsingham's network of spies and back channels determined to expose Mary Stewart's information network, Mary's clandestine letters to Castleknow remained undiscovered for 10 years. It was not until 1583 that Walsingham managed to plant a mole in Castleknow's embassy in London. These letters have been presumed lost for 436 years. Until now. And now I turn it over to Mel Taylor and Dr. George Lassery. Welcome to Tudor's Dynasty. I spent some fantastic time delving into your, your paper over the last few days and also your PowerPoint presentation, which I found very useful. And uh, how was it that the three of you, you and Professor Berman and your lovely astrophysicist Satoshi, is it Tomokio? Yes, How did you stumble yes. on these lost letters? Yeah, so uh, it, it's it's um, it's a project. I mean, the multiple project on with the same purpose that we are involved in in the last something like ten years. So basically, what we do, we we go to archive or mainly we go to online connection of archives, and then we look for for document in ciphers. So it doesn't have to be from a specific person. We just look for ciphers wherever we can find them. And our passion is also to crack them. So right. Sometimes you know who wrote them, to whom they were written. Sometimes you don't, and you have to crack the cipher in order to find that out. But in that specific case, those ciphers were in collections in the Bibliothèque Nationale de France, the French Library, and they were not properly tagged. So someone looking for, for material about Mary Stuart would not go to that specific collection to look for that. Now, I found it quite amusing that whoever catalogued it in the first place looked at it, thought it was foreign and said, oh, it must be Italian, which <laughs> it just, I thought, ah, the French archivist clearly had a lot of work on his plate at the time. We don't know exactly what happened. I think it's also a research question to understand why they were misplaced. I, what is interesting is that there are multiple collections, but in one of them, then the letter in code are actually interspersed together with letters in Italian. So you have oh, one right. letter in Italian and one letter in code. So I think the archivist uh, at the time thought that the code is the encoded version of that uh, other letter in, Ital in Italian. So 
this is very strange and this is also explain also why um the whole collection if you look at the catalog it's the say italian matters and it also say the first half of the 16th century and we know that mary stuart was active in the second half of the 16th century all of that i find is complete fabulous story in itself let alone the insight that you're going to produce you know you're giving to the rest of the world on mary stewart's life and correspondence why do you think they've not, well you've answered the next question really hasn't you that you know why they've not been found is because the language and the way that they were archived but when you began cross-questioning cross-referencing rather the known letters transcribed by prince labanov in the 19th century and the few pieces found in the 20th century. How soon was it before you realized that it was Mary Stuart? Uh, well, it took a while because the this particular cipher is not, I mean, this is not the most complex one we saw or sold, but it's def definitely a complex one. So solving the cipher was actually like peeling an onion that you have you have oh, multiple right. layers in that onion and you, and you have to peel the layers one by one. So at the beginning, uh, when we started to crack the code, we had fragments, we had we could read maybe about 20, 30% of the text. And very quickly, we realized that was that was not in Italian, that was in French. Uh, and then we, we were able to, to read a little bit more on the tint of the text, maybe 30%, 40%, and we had some crack we saw some fragments that are more uh, significant and first realized that the language was uh, not only French, but it was in feminine form. So a woman was writing that. So that was even more intriguing. And then we saw some expression which are quite revealing, like ma liberté, which means uh, my liberty. And there is no reason someone would, would write about his liberty if he's free, if, if he's free. So it was probably someone in captivity. And then we saw mon fils, which is my son. So, mm -hmm. so this was already a combination quite suspicious. And Mary Stuart started to be one of our suspects, but we were not sure yet. And especially, we could not believe that uh, we, uh, a trio of codebreakers, by chance, we will reveal something that colors have been looking for for centuries. We couldn't have that luck. It was so too crazy. So we continued to dig and to dig, and then we peeled another layer of that onion. And then uh, I would say that the smoking gun was when we saw the world once again. And of course, ah. um, everyone familiar with the Tudor dynasty know who Sir Francis Walsingham is. Yes. <laughs> the, the famous uh, first secretary and spy master of Queen Elizabeth. And when we saw that, it, all, those, the, all those clues, it, it made it quite evident that this is Mary Stuart, even for that. We, that we, that was a complete surprise and, and a shock, I would say, for us. When I looked on the Taylor and Francis website, that this first appeared in, in the Cryptology magazine in July 2020. This no, 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 not at all. I mean, they, no. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't a um, a pandemic um, project or anything. No, I wouldn't say that. I, the timing of the project we. We started to look at, uh, at the material uh, early 2022. We submitted the paper end of 2022. So you could say that part of it was uh, during the pandemic, but it's it was not a, a, a purely pandemic project. Oh, right. No. Right. No, it was project. just something I spotted on on the Taylor and Francis website. And I thought, oh, that seems a bit strange. It's sat there for three years. Why has it? But that's not the case. 
No, not at all. And if, if, and, and actually, uh, one of the concerns that we had is that we cannot sit too long on such materials. So this uh, is why we, we had a crash program to, 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 to publish, uh, to prepare the paper and publish it quickly because, uh, uh, this cannot be, uh, you can't, you can't hide that for too long. No. I sh have you spoken to Professor Guy? Yes. I mean, I mean, I've been in contact with him, not, not, uh, not uh, voice contact, but he's, uh, he's been uh, delighted, very enthusiastic. And, uh, and also he, for us, it's a kind of uh, validation that uh, what we did is, is uh, meaningful. And uh, it, uh, it seems to be for him and for other scholars that are contacting us, much more than meaningful. It seems to be a, a real goldmine of new primary information. And usually historians want primary material. Yes, we're all on, on the hunt for that. So yes, how many this... absolutely new letters are there? So uh, when we saw that that combination and and then the contents, they then we were pretty much convinced, but then we didn't have the full proof. I mean, I was a court a courtroom evidence uh, to do that. <laughs> so what we did, and also we had another, another concern is maybe those letters actually are known and some copies of them exist not in code in other places. Because if you just redecipher something which exists in other archives or in a book or publication, that, that's not such a big deal. No, so no. what we did, we combed archives again and again uh, to see if we could find those those letters that are not in Labanov, in Count Labanov, uh, a, a collection of, of Mary Stuart, and they are not in other collections that were assembled more recently. Uh, so at the end of the day, uh, we have 57 letters. Eight of them actually are in existing uh, collection, most of them in the British Library. And, uh, and that, that was a the final proof that this is for Mary Stuart because we have the code and the, and, the, and the plain text side by side and they match very well. So that was a strong validation about their origin. And, uh, and then when we were in contact with uh, Professor John Guy, he confirmed that uh, those letters are, are new and, and very significant. That must have been a really exciting moment for all of you. Exactly. That was, fun. That was really something surreal. Like, uh, you know, like uh, the only analogy that I can find is some archaeologists <laughs> digging the ground and looking for some some in the best case some pottery or some you know some small find and then look finding a big uh, a book or some tablets with cuneiform form or something like that that was really a, a fantastic um, moment and, and feeling when i saw the paper for me i thought i wonder if dr lazary and his companions felt as though they were like howard carter coming along the tomb of tutankhamun in 1922, I would, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Such I would, a discovery. I, I wouldn't uh, even barely compare the two. Uh, what, what we oh, did. I don't know. Yes. I think I think Elizabethan scholars might disagree there. No, I'm not. I don't think so because uh, basically uh, those were those, this was a treasure more or less uh, laying in plain sight. Right. So uh, we not we did not discover it. We did not discover the the physical copies of those letters. We just attributed them to the right person, the and, right the, person. and then uh, highlighted their importance so it's it's a little difference it's 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 a it's a pure code breaking exercise and uh, and this is this is what we do i mean we 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 break a lot of codes this is not the first code that we break we love breaking codes it's a passion and it's also an obsession so when whenever we see a code uh, if you look uh, an encoded message in front of us literally we won't go to sleep until we solve it 
Wow. Uh, so it's, it's a code breaking uh, achievement rather than a discovery achievement. Right. <laughs> That's my romantic, my, my very romantic cool. ideals. When you're code breaking, you must get a tremendous feel for the individual who's using this code. Did this give you a new sense of Mary and how she was? Yeah, so first of all, when you say a new sense of Mary, then you assume that there was a sense of Mary, and I barely knew. <laughs> yeah, that is. I barely yeah. knew the highlights of of her history because, uh, I mean, as a cryptographer, we know something about the history of Mary because uh, our downfall was caused by another cipher that she sent to Babington two or three years after those letters that we have deciphered. They are from 1578 to 1584. The Babington plot is two years later and her execution is three years later. So in the Babington plot, she sent a letter in code to Babington and this letter was intercepted and decoded. And then that in that letter, there, there was some incremental evidence that she was plotting against the queen. So, so her story in conjunction with uh, cryptography and codes is, is well known. And the world, this is where we know the world Walsingham, but we are not historians. We don't, I mean... No. I love history. I read plenty of books about history, but I don't claim to, to be an right. historian. And uh, so the first thing that we needed to do when we realized it, it was her is actually to read more and more and to get more familiar with the story because otherwise it's very difficult to, to interpret the letter and to even to, to decipher it, to, to know that this is, this is the world and this is the next world. So this is what we did. We read quite a few books. So right now we, we have a better feeling who, who she was, but from time to time, uh, historians, I sent some fragment of the of the text to, to historians and they say, yes, oh, wow, we can hear this and this and this. And I, and I say, okay, I didn't read that because I'm not a historian. So, so for us, it was new. It was new because we were not so familiar with Mary Stuart. It's not like you, you are, you're probably being familiar with her story for, for a long time. Yes, she's she's not one I've studied um, in a huge amount of depth, but you know, we know that she she was with Verla um, Shrewsbury for for a number of years, and yes. th those letters seem to span the time that she was with at the Earl of Shrewsbury. Yes, but not not all of it. I don't remember the exact year when she was moved to him, uh, but it was early on, and we have six years of of correspondence. And I think she was with him fifteen years of plus minus. Yeah. Uh, but those years are, are particularly interesting because uh, they are dense with events, uh, political machinations, uh, things that, that she's trying to do uh, uh, with her allies uh, against her enemy and so on. So this is, uh, this is a very interesting period. Yeah, also she's complaining about her health and how she's lack of exercise. What I found really interesting was that she asks permission for her own physician to be given a passport because she doesn't trust those who are being sent to her and in fact one of them has made her drink gold water is that water yes, with yes. gold in it yes but that was uh, that was uh, conventional at the, at the time it was a conventional treatment if you wanted an alchemist to, to treat <laughs> your, your, your illness <laughs> i was i wondered if it was sort of really gold and i'm thinking gosh is that because she's a queen or is it no, no it, it was water with gold i mean not not too much gold in it but it Just was actually enough. physically gold yes gosh heavens mm. and it also demonstrates how she's managing her her property in france as well she's trying her best because she's away and she's only she can manage her property only via her envoys 
and, and officers in France, but uh, and she all the time she all the time complains that she has been robbed of, of of some property, and now she's left with only half of what she owned originally. Uh, so she uses that communication basically just to give a broader perspective. Uh, the, the the letters are from Mary to Michel de Castelnau, Michel de the Castel French Castel ambassador. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly, and he uses this this uh, she uses this uh, channel also to send letters to her agent and officers in Paris. So we know that she had an ambassador in Paris. Uh, Is that Mr. Beaton? Beaton, yes, exactly. And then she had her, her primary uh, agent and intriguer was Thomas Morgan, the famous Thomas Morgan. And she sent uh, quite a few letters to them via Castelnau. So we, unfortunately, we don't have those letters. They did not survive. All we have are the letters to Castelnau. We know that they were written with another type of code, but she didn't want Castelnau to read what she was written, writing to Beaton and to a, and to uh, Thomas Morgan and, and 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 the rest. But we know that she used that channel to get to letters get... to them and from them. Who actually devised the cipher? Was it Mary herself? We don't know. So this is, uh, I think, this is an open resource question, and we'll be happy to partner with scholars. Uh, to uh, to find out, but uh, uh, th this type of cipher was not unusual at the time. It just I'm not going to get into the small detail, but it was what we call a homophonic cipher uh, with a nomenclature or a dictionary. It was not unusual. That was the common uh, way of uh, of uh, writing in cipher. Uh, but we don't know who designed the specific cipher. So she was very familiar with cipher. She used cipher throughout her life. She was taught about cipher as a young uh, child by her mother, Marie de Guise. And she, know, she knew how to write and to read in cipher, actually. But we don't think she actually did the encipherment. We think that she wrote the text in French, and then the secretary did the encoding for her. Oh, right. We don't know who prepared those, this, what we call an, a cipher sheet or encoding table that you use to encode and when you receive the letter to decode. Your discoveries date from May 1578. And in the first letter, Mary tells us she hasn't received any correspondence for, for the last seven months, which sort of suggests that there was um, this covert channel was well established by 1578, you know, long before that date. And the common denominator seems to be that they all came, you know, the exchange came from when she was with the Earl of Shrewsbury as a house guest and she says he's a decent man but there were rumors that she'd had a, an affair with him i mean that was Bess of hardwick was yes, of course this is a very famous story and the, yeah. in some of the letters she uh, strongly denies that uh, any any accusation of that sort and she what we can see that uh, she more and more i mean we know that she was in good terms with uh, Bess of hardwick but after a while in her letter, she's she's getting more and more negative towards her. And she writes that she is very close to the to, to Robert Dudley, the Earl of Gloucester, and they are planning uh, plots against the Queen, against her. So her attitude towards uh, Bess of Hardwick starts to be more and more negative over time. I'm, I'm fascinated by, I mean, her loathing of Dudley comes across in... Every time she mentions him, it sort of leaps off the page, you know, that awful man Dudley. And it almost goes against everything that we know about Dudley's relationship with the Queen, I mean, with Elizabeth. 
mean, she was supposed to be madly in love with him and he with her. I mean, these letters cover the, the period of the negotiations of the marriage with Anjou. Um, and yet Mary, Mary Stuart seems to be well aware that Dudley has married Lady Leicester, even though he's a light, you know, uh, Letitia Nollis, rather, um, Lady Devereux, long before the Queen ever finds out. Yes. Uh, yeah, but Mary's relationship with Dudley, as far as I understand, were not always uh, bad because even early on, uh, he, he was one, a potential uh, candidate to, to Mary, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots. When Mary was married to the Dauphin, um, there's the um, rumour that Elizabeth is going to marry her horse master, which is not quite the same as her master of horse. It suggests that she's going to marry a groom. And I feel that Mary, Mary Stuart was making a particular slur against Dudley for some, you know, and Elizabeth because of Elizabeth's illegitimacy. I, I can only refer to what I, I read in the in the letters, okay? So I can't refer to what Jesse just mentioned. Like, but I can tell you, that I know that um, uh, the, the relationship between Mary and, and Dudley were not always bad. And right. there, there is some evidence in the letter that actually uh, they might be, have been better at the, at the beginning, but, but very quickly they start to be, everything she writes about him start to be quite negative. And she's trying also to use Castelno to convey some rumors about Dudley so that the, the queen will be mad at him. Uh, but she's very specific and very cautious. She asked Castello, please don't tell the queen this is coming from me. Why do you think that Castelno actually doesn't do that? And it's Jean de Simier who is the one who whispers in Elizabeth's ear about Mar Dudley's secret marriage. So we know we have a part of the other side of the story because there are letters sent by Castelno. We don't have any letters, by the way, sent from Castelno to Mary. Well, that's but a shame. We, we do have letters from Castelno to the king and the queen mother in France. We know that some of the... He took very seriously requ the, the request from Mary Stuart and he conveyed a lot of those requests to the king and the queen mother. We also know that he was not very sympathetic to... Uh, conveying too much dirt. So <laughs> sometimes uh, uh, Mary would insist that Castelnau ask the queen to investigate something and, and then he was trying to uh, convince her not to do that. Uh, but um, he, he was quite sympathetic. It's not clear uh, whether she was fully open with him and there is evidence that at the same time she also had converse, uh, con a correspondence with the the Spanish ambassador. Mendoza. And, yes, and in those letters, and there are not too many that survive, but those that survive are quite interesting and sometimes even more revealing. But she trusted him and she relied on him and, he, it, and her communication, her channel communication with, with him was critical to her, not just to communicate uh, to, the, to the French king and, and the queen mother, but also to her network outside, uh, outside England. Walsingham is obviously lurking in the background from all of this, and she actually warns Castelno to be wary of Walsingham. She also asks him to find out who it was who's asked for the letters that she's sending by the official channel that she has, you know, why these letters need to be opened in Privy Council. We don't know whether that, that was ever answered, do we? 
Yeah, we we know that she complains about that, but uh, I think there will we, someone will need to look in that in, in uh, deeper. Right. Uh, but you have a lot of Walsingham is is a star in her letters, and she's mentioned <laughs> many many times, and uh, usually not uh, positively. And and she's also giving advice to Castelnau how to handle him, how to beware uh, of of him, and uh, even uh, we know now from uh, other sources. And uh, John Bossy has written a very interesting book on that, which is called Under the Molehill. It's a fabulous book. Well, It's a fabulous book. And then uh, he, he d- details the evidence that Walsingham actually was able to, to recruit a mole in the French embassy. And that this mole made copies of all letters that Castelnau sent and received. And this includes, of course, letters from Mary. And by the way, this is the reason why we have seven or eight letters uh, that we did decipher but do exist elsewhere so what in one of the letter it and it's um i think it, it was knowledge we uh, before our decipherment that uh, mary warns castelnau you seem to have a spy in your embassy and castelnau in another letter that we have uh, actually denies that and say no i mean only three people are looking at those letters and i trust all of them but unfortunately one of them was probably the ball was that Henri Fajot, uh, Monsieur Fanon, and Cossel? None of none of them. I mean, uh, oh, it's another one. <laughs> it's it's uh, Ferron. Well, I mean, it was identi- He was identified by Bossier to be Ferron, and uh, Fagot was a code name for someone else who recruited F- uh, Ferron. Right. Gosh, gosh, the plot thickens every twist and turn. And Cossel, according to to, uh, he was a secretary. Uh, according to uh, to John Bossy, I uh, was wrongly accused. I mean, by historian, because by the time he was accused, he was dead already. Uh, <laughs> but he was wrongly accused to have been the mole but the, or the spy, but he was probably not. Right. I... He was even not present at some of the time that he was supposed to spy. He was even not present in London, so that there is enough evidence to say that it's not him. But he's, he's, he's innocent. He's right. more than innocent. He was the, the strong supporter of Mary. From these new letters, do you get the feeling that there's information being planted somehow by conversation or other means to try and expose this covert channel somehow or, or, you know, that it would come out elsewhere in a letter or a conversation, casual conversation, and Walsingham would be watching as to who was talking? I just wondered if there was a feeling of information being planted to Mary that she puts in these letters that Walsingham would have been able to see where the plant had been. He was trying to unearth a mole within either Shrewsbury's household. Because that's... Yeah, but uh, Walsingham actually was the one to plant mole, so he, he, he didn't need to, to uh, unearth any mole. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't think that something like that would have happened. And... Uh, but we know that Mary Stuart was very, very careful about communication security. Uh, she took uh, great efforts, great efforts to, uh, to, to even to hide the existence of a covert communication channel. For example, she would ask Castelnau, uh, please answer, uh, please uh, uh, write to me about this and this next week in the in the, in the encoded one, and in parallel, do that also with the official channel, so that so that is when someone finds out I know about it, then 
they will assume it has been signed by the the the, the official channel because otherwise uh, so I think I could ask where is that information coming from and how did the Mary receive this so from time to time she uh, she she asked uh, Castelnau to take such measure and even she writes to Castelnau in one of the letters that uh, via the official channel she's not going to write anything that she wouldn't want even her worst enemy to be able mm -hmm. to read so from, from time to time she was actually writing stuff in the in the official channel with the purpose of being seen by Walsingham and, and the consul. You know, I feel that that sort of tells me that she's actually quite quite content about the security of the tightness of this covert channel. You know, yes, she's, she's... until mid-83, when she warns, uh, she's probably, she had some other intelligence sources and she started to sense that this channel is, is probably not, not as secure as it was. And it, she warns Castelnau that she, he, might be, he might have a spy in the embassy, and she's right. She has no proof. So I bet, I bet in the year before 83, definitely, she relied on that channel, and it was a lifeline for her. So the Throckmorton plot, which explodes in 83, I mean, that that is, you know, the name Throckmorton comes up in, in various aspects of Elizabeth's uh, diplom diplomatic uh, card, because... Uh, there's a Throckmorton who's an ambassador, but of course yes. this Throckmorton, of course, is a is a Catholic, yes. and very much in Mary's Mary's camp. Yes, and th those letters and the severity of Throckmorton's uh, punishment and the other plotters is really quite quite horrifying. And she is there any co any comment in any of these? Yes, letters? there is a very interesting comment. First of all, uh, Throckmorton, Francis Throckmorton. It was very important for Mary because he became one of her trusted uh, messenger, carrying letters in and out uh, her, uh, we said her residence or prison, and um, he, he was he was allowed to come and see her because she she could have a visitor, and uh, and we know that he was he visited her, they met, and he carried letter for her, but but if you look at the letter, there is nothing about the, the Falkmorton's plot in those letters. So there could be two meanings. One, that she was just too careful to write, to put anything in writing, uh, but she was involved and she didn't put anything in writing, or maybe she was not involved too much, or maybe she was involved, but with the Spanish ambassador, and then uh, she didn't want anything to uh, transpire to the, to the French ambassador. But uh, we know she was in close contact with Falkmorton, so, Everything is possible, and then when he was arrested and tortured, and then she, in one of the letters, she, uh, she writes to Castelnau that uh, she really deplores uh, his fate, and uh, if if she, if she can in the future, she she will uh, re reward him and compensate him. But of course, he's being executed, so mm. she has no occasion for that. And yet, when the Babington plot is is exposed that cipher is much simpler than the one she's been using yes so basically after the Frogmorton plot uh she was not directly incriminated but she was highly suspected of having taken part in that plot so mm -hmm. uh, after a while she was moved from the earl of shrewsbury yes to another place and that in that place uh she had she had she went into two different places but then she was in much worse condition 
and uh, she was under tighter control. She had less access to the external world, and she probably she became more and more desperate. Did so, she have her secretary now with her? Yes, he was with with her, uh, but still uh, he couldn't. That she didn't have the access to the external world that she had before. And then I think she, we think she came kind of became desperate and, and took more risk, like uh, getting herself involved in the plot. Like this plot was not very strongly planned or organized. And also writing about the plot in letters, which she didn't do uh, with the Frogporton plot. No, she didn't. And no. So, and then, uh, and then as you, you, you rightly said, even the code that, that they use was not a very secure one. <laughs> so you are involved in a plot, you write about it in a code which is not very safe. This, this shows that uh, she was less careful at the time and more desperate, probably. One of the things which you say in the paper that there are 120 people listed in there. I mean, my area of research is into people like Nicholas Hilliard. And I wondered whether his name had come up because she sends, I know that she gives Ralph Sadler a token um, of her appreciation because she also considers he is a nice man. And we know that Ralph Sadler received a Hilliard miniature. Did you come across his name at all in any way? Ralph Sadler? No, well, both Ralph Sadler and also Nicholas Hilliard. No, no, those Neither. names don't, don't come across, no. Oh, we have about name. 120 names, different names mentioned. Uh, some of them are very well known. Some of them, they are known, they are not known, and they appear only in that source. So that would be also interesting to know to find out who they were. Yeah, right. Well, gosh, this is leaving a huge amount of research, new research for for students and um, you know people like John Guy and other other researchers and experts in the Elizabethan story of the relationship between Elizabeth I and Mary Stuart. And your paper uh, is packed with all of this tantalizing information that will keep us going for years and years and years to come. Now, are there any plans to publish a book of the transcriptions of the letters? Yes, of course. And this is a, this is a task that uh, for which we that we cannot do by ourselves because we are not historians. So we are now trying to partner with historians to do that. And uh, and there is a lot of material, so it's going, probably going to be a team effort. Time a team effort and, is, and people that are more familiar with specific aspects. So you have so many threads, so many stories, so many um, events that you need uh, expertise on each one of them. And uh, right now we are being contacted by some scholars that are uh, willing to, to look at specific aspects. So this is definitely, that will be, um, that will be um, a task for the next future. And, uh, and we are- I could run into several that. volumes. I know. I think that I, I mean it depends. I mean, if it's just a text, I would be a book, and if it's the text plus translation plus interpretation, it could be two volumes. Well, I don't think that's to be. It's not going to be a new Labanov. It's going to be one or two volumes of Labanov. Uh, right. Labanov have seven volumes. Uh, I think we have one or two. Gosh, and uh, the other thing is, is the story of how the three of you actually stumbled on it. I mean, that in itself, I think, would make a wonderful story and a, a book and a film and anything because the whole it's a very romantic if you like event that's happened as the discovery of these lost letters and you know netflix stars do they call are they knocking on your door yet yeah i mean i'm i'm being contacted by documentary producers but uh, i don't think that the story will be or will the story will be probably mary 
and what we learn from her and that's much more interesting i think <laughs> oh <laughs> well dr nasri thank you ever so much you for your you time and and you. and i i look forward to being able to read these letters in full and um and i'm i've got a young student in fact who's just started history and he's fascinated by by your discovery so i shall be sending him a copy of that thank, thank you. you very much for your time thank you very much thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.